What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. <laughs> Are you wearing a Christmas jumper? Yeah. <laughs> it's October. You gotta make your own Christmas, Ryan. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring RC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Merry Christmas, Ryan. Feliz <laughs> <laughs> Navidad. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm all right, man. Thanks. You've caught me off guard. <laughs> it's my job. My job. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I was like, when will I learn? You knew, <laughs> knew what this was. <laughs> you knew exactly what this was. How's the How tour you- going? It's amazing. I was in Cheltenham for the Literature Festival. I interviewed the great David Harewood um, ah. about his brilliant new uh, memoir, Maybe I Don't Belong Here, and also about his acting career. A bit about talked about Homeland as well, which was great, great fun. Nice. Um, that I did a bit about. I was then interviewed about my own memoir the next day. One of them uh, about my time at boarding school, obviously. Um, and then I've got three more cities: Bristol, London, Belfast. And then London again, and then I'm off. Wow. Yeah. Good times, man. Good times. Good times indeed. How are things in beautiful Berlin? Uh, all right, man. Autumnal. Ah. Very it's, autumnal. But it's not it? raining. It's not raining though, is it? It was yesterday. It's not now. Okay. The weird thing is, the weird thing about being in the UK is, you know, you get this, you pack your stuff. Oh, you've got all these plans and wear this and this and just look at the forecast. And you're like, I just can't wear 90% of that. 
It's just oh, dude, it's it's pure like roulette when you go to the UK. You can it's step quiet, off the plane yeah. at any time of year, and it could be twelve degrees. Yeah, it's so so strange, so strange. But yeah, A load they, of Canadians rolling their eyes right now. Yeah, exactly. Oh god, <laughs> get over it. Exactly. That's oh. that's a, that's a Canadian summer. That is. We had a <laughs> we had a very funny tweet from someone. Forgive me, I forget who it was, but saying uh, in response to because we guested on Haley O'Shaughnessy's Spinsters podcast. Yeah, shout out to Haley, she's great. Yeah, it, <laughs> someone responded saying the on-running joke about Canadians and cold weather. About the t- cold weather will never not you know will never get old. Oh, they know it's so lovely. I love that it's like carried across to other podcasts and they found it there. I love it so much. Uh, but yeah, man, no, it's all autumnal here. It's so autumnal that, you know, Berlin is filled with the sound of leaf blowers. Oh, all good. Should we do some admin? Let's do it. Let's do it. Because everyone loves a bit of admin. I do. Hope everyone's staying safe and well. Getting vaccinated if you can. Right his house this week. Flo Lloyd Hughes. Whose birthday is today? Happy birthday, yes. Flo. Many happy returns. Uh, me and Flo will be joining Righty, and we're going to talk about, obviously, Arsenal Palace, which is taking place Monday night. So we're recording this ahead of, of Arsenal Palace. We'll talk about that. It's like the, the Righty Derby. Or I suppose it's the Vieira Derby as well now. Yeah, he's doing a good job there. He is. Palace fans are, are happy, which is nice to see. So we'll be talking about that. And we might, I might quiz, I might ask him a little bit on like, what's it actually like going up against your old club? Yeah, you should. You should. Uh, and maybe we'll touch on some other stuff as well. But uh, yeah, don't forget that will be up on Wednesday. A little reminder, if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be very kind. Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify if you want to listen to all the music we play out on each episode. Search for Stadio Outros. They're all in a playlist. The newest one is at the top. And uh, other than that, I just want to say props to Candace Parker and the Chicago Sky. Wow, Chicago yes. Sky winning their first. Came through. WNBA Championship. Candice went to Chicago. She went home and she brought him a championship. Big. Oh, it's big. I saw the air. That was, it was lovely to see. The scenes on Twitter were absolutely amazing. And always, always means more to do in your hometown. Yeah, always. for sure. She's a Don, man. She's a Don. So yeah, there were some very happy Chicago basketball fans on the timeline. So today, I mean, this isn't a basketball podcast. It's a football podcast. It's not. It's an association soccer podcast. It is. And therefore, <laughs> or is it? Is it actually an association soccer podcast? Is like it, saying chai tea, isn't it? It's like <laughs> saying, <laughs> uh, anyway, today's show, we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about there were some really good games this weekend. Before we get onto some deep divey stuff, because I think what we're probably going to talk about Leicester Manchester United, because that was an, yeah. probably the Premier League's game of the weekend. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Villa Wolves. Villa Wolves was a close was one. Also thing. a very good game. But this, I think Leicester United was yeah. And I think one. in terms of being surreal, Newcastle Spurs was quite a, quite an odd game. Yeah. So we'll talk about those three in a little bit more detail. We'll also talk a little bit about uh Real Sociedad going top of La Liga thanks to a couple of postponements because of players returning from South America from international duty. So it allowed them to go top of the league. After a very late win. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to do a quick roundup of some other stuff because there were some wild games this weekend. First of all, both Bayern and Wolfsburg lost in the Frauen Bundesliga. And shouts to Jasmine Schweimler who posted a great tweet saying, you know, you asked for better competition 
and we now have better competition. The top three of Bayern Munich, Bayer Leverkusen and Eintracht Frankfurt are all on 15 points. After giving Eintracht some props last week in the men's Bundesliga, they came from behind in a frantic final 10 minutes. Well, I've got a confession to make because I stopped watching the scoreline at like 60, 65 minutes when it was nil-nil. And oh, at, that point, at that point, when Wolfsburg had won, the Wolfsburg already lost, right? I was like, oh, the league is basically done. Like, they get a point. Even if they get a point, like the league feels like it's done. So I just look away and start watching a different game. And then that late that night, I was like, I'm going to catch up the games. You're like, oh yeah. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> mm, Wolfsburg had lost only in the day to Hoffenheim. 2-1. Yeah. Eintracht took the lead just after you stopped watching. Yes. <laughs> and then two from Maximiliano Rall in three minutes gave Bayern the lead with seven minutes to go. Uh, her first was on 80 minutes, her second 83 minutes. And then two quick fire goals at the end of the game won the game for Eintracht. Um, sending them into the Champions League spots and Wolfsburg's defeat means they are fourth currently. But that league is is shaping up to be, it's very much a league split in two. You have Turbina on 12 points in sixth and then Hoffenheim, Wolfsburg, Eintracht, Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich above them. So there's only three points separating first and sixth after six games in the Frauen Bundesliga, which is really, really good. It's super exciting. Very quickly, another defeat for Real Madrid in the women's Primera. They are really struggling this season. Yeah. To be honest, they haven't looked great. They didn't look great in the Champions League either, to be honest. They haven't. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one because obviously they are still, they're probably ahead of schedule, I'd say, in, in their process, in the development. Because remember, this was a team that was still tack on a couple of years ago. It's because they're called Real Madrid. Everyone's coming for them. That's exactly. The thing. That's the thing. Um, but they're currently in the bottom four, which are the relegation spots in the women's Primera. We've said it before, the Primera's is is a hardcore division. Like it it's a tough, tough. It's a tough place to cut your teeth. Like if you're in terms of if you're looking to make a splash, there are easier leagues in which you can make a splash. Put it that way. Yeah, they lost three three nils to Sevilla, and they've only had one win in the league this season. Aye, aye, aye. Any other quick roundups you wanted to? Or maybe we, we could do the men's Bundesliga quick if you wanted to. Very, very quickly. I suppose headlines there. I, I mean, you you were you were watching this live. I wasn't. You were watching the. The Bayern Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, Bayern. I, I tweeted that it was a very impolite first half from Bayern and a very polite second. Yes, uh, it they was were, very much. They so. were five nil up at half time against Bayer Leverkusen. They absolutely. Well, do you know what? They didn't really blow Bayer Leverkusen away. That was the thing. It was a really curious statistical breakdown in the first half. It was just that, like, I think Bayern only made twenty more passes than Bayer Leverkusen in that entire first half, but they created seventeen chances. I think. But also something else was happening, and I think it's typified by, was it their second goal? Every single moment of the second goal, they were like one touch ahead. They nipped it mm-hmm. past. To the point, it wasn't even a duel. It wasn't 50-50. And that's a stat that wouldn't show up. But the stat that's interesting was, there was a stat for the intensity. Because if you see the intensity that Leverkusen gave to Dortmund, right, with, like, with most of the same personnel, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you see what they gave, like Demirbay defensively against Dortmund was ferocious. Amiri mm-hmm. was there. Like he really showed up and they didn't against Bayern. I don't mm. know if it was intimidation or what it really stuck out for me against um, Leverkusen for Bayern was Nagelsmann is unlocking Upamecano. That is yeah, interesting. Yeah, he started, yeah. Yeah, so like even the, the volley he used and the cushion volley for the assist for the mm-hmm. opener was amazing. But also the way he's like stepping forward and also defensively recovering well, like trusting himself to be the last person as the last sweeper. That was really impressive. And also like, Bad news for Benjamin Pavard because 
he might be supplanted for France and for Bayern at fullback potentially in the space of a couple of weeks because Zula yeah, I mean, played. Nicolas Zula is in a really good run of form. Really good, yeah. And Bayern and, seem to have kind of like settled down defensively after obviously losing Jerome Boateng and David Alaba in the summer. Can I say this as well? Like Sula is one of the most unpleasant propositions for any winger to face because he's like technical and he's absolutely huge and he's quite fast. Yeah, he's a problem, man. Yeah, he's yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. But it was a really strange game because it was only 1-0 after half an hour and then it was the, it were the, it was seven wild minutes from 30 minutes on that just, Bayer Leverkusen just seemed to fall apart. They did. It was so strange. It was a lack of competitiveness. Yeah, completely. Um, one thing just to flag up very quickly, I don't think it's a trend because it's only one person, one person doesn't make a trend. But do you remember when like Hulk was like a winger and you had all of a sudden this huge person playing as a winger and it wasn't a common thing. I wonder if there will be some sort of mini trend of like absolutely huge fullbacks because I quite like it actually as a thing to deal with. I don't know. It's quite unsettling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with it. So I don't, <laughs> but yeah, great, great, great performance in Bayern there. Yeah, they were great. Obviously, Serge Gnabry got two, Lewandowski got two, Thomas Muller with the other one that was kind of like deflected. Yeah, Leroy Sané looked great again. Leroy Sané is in a really good run of form. He's really turned it around this season for Bayern and for Germany. Really happy to see that. Part of the reason for that is probably that he had like a fully fit preseason, well, a full full preseason of being fit. I think the knock-on effects of those injuries or that big injury that he had before he left Man City, I think we're we're really there last season. It was quite a high-profile move for him and a lot of pressure. And I'm really pleased to see him kind of turn it around. On that note, so Alfonso Davies went off. I was, cause I was thinking, the reason I associated this is great. because I was thinking, by the way, like the hamstrings, the, the, the Leroy Sané hamstring, the only hamstring probably tighter in the world than that is probably a, uh, you know, a Alfonso Davies hamstring. And there was a moment where he did a brilliant bit where he chased back in the first half. Mm. And I was like, that's going to, that's going to be a lot. And he went off actually a bit later. He went off after 40 was, minutes. Yeah, there five was a conversation hell. about the hamstring. But as you, as you pointed out, and the commentator said it, which is really great. The commentator was like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Like taking a player off. 5-0, you don't need him. Like he's traveled a lot for international duty. He's played a lot of football. They've got Champions League coming up this week. If you're 5-0 up, take him off. Like, yeah. And that was really smart coaching from Nagelsmann, I think. But um, I need to give props to Joshua Kimmich because Joshua Kimmich is a... He's a curious player in the sense that like, you know, with all the, the Jorginho talk for Ballon d'Or and stuff like that, and I know that that's down to, you know, obviously Jorginho being part of sides that have won the Champions League and mm. the Euros. But Joshua Gimmich is a player who I genuinely think is a little bit underrated. Yes, he is. Yeah. I th- it's, it's strange though, isn't it? Because everyone seems to simultaneously know how brilliant he is, yet not really talk about how brilliant he is. Schrodinger's Kimmich. Kimmich. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he had another brilliant game there were some really good uh, videos going around of like breaking down how important his movements were in terms of just getting Bayern out from playing playing out the back super good quick shout to Hoffenheim in the league they absolutely hammered in form Köln on Friday night 5-0 Dortmund beating Mainz 3-1 good win that as well yeah I mean they've been they've been struggling a little bit that kind of Bo Svensson magic seems to have worn off a tiny tiny bit but this was always going to be a tricky season after their huge turnaround last season. Hertha beat Eintracht in Frankfurt 2-1, which was a massive win for them. And um, Freiburg getting a point at home to Leipzig on the first day in their brand new stadium. And to be honest, I think I think they were unlucky, Freiburg. The Leipzig goal came from a penalty, which 
Freiburg players and, and Christian Strike was not happy about. I think Christian Strike got booked maybe for his uh, protest on the on the touchline. Union beating Wolfsburg. So Wolfsburg are in a tricky run of form now, man. Like I think they're uh, I think this is this is kind of the Wolfsburg that I think this is a little bit more of a true reflection. Yeah. You know, they started very good under Van Bommel, but they had a very kind opening run of fixtures. And um they haven't won in the league now since beating Greuterfurt in on September eleventh. It's shaping up to be pretty good in the Bundesliga. You know, Bayern are a point clear from Dortmund. One thing to point out about the Bayern result against Leverkusen is that I think optics-wise, it looks like the top of the table side beat the second in the they're table. They're not as strong as they were at this point last year. They weren't. They were no, playing. No, no. With, yeah, they were. No, they were. They're not. Yeah, there were more cracks. More cracks visible. I agree. So that was the Bundesliga. Let's uh, get into the the Premier League after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We have to mention Liverpool at the top because, you know, 5-0 win over Watford. They were very good. And Mo Salah scored another absolutely amazing goal and did the celebration, which I found really entertaining because it was kind of like, oh shit, I've kind of, kind of done it again. I need to do a thing. Actually, there's a thing that he's doing now, which is what I call the triple take goal, which is I've got to watch it at least three times to work out exactly what he's done. Yeah. It's wild. Like that thing he does, the drag, when he drags so the ball good. under his foot, that is absolutely wild. That is a kind of, um, it's like something from like an Indiana Jones movie or something. No, it is. Where I like you're being that. chased. I want to see the, ex- yeah. the expected wriggle. Yeah. You, so when you're being chased, you're being chased like down the sort of, down an alleyway by the bad guys and you jump above their heads and like prop your feet against the wall and they run underneath you. It was like that. It was like, he stopped. The, the genius of what he did, like put planting foot on the ball like that and a player just surging past. The, the speed of thought to use someone's momentum against them in that moment. It's like improv. I don't know. It's like sort of, it's like, it was like free jazz, this riffing. Cause you see him like take the first two touches and he's watching everyone's balance around him. And it's like, let me extract myself from this, from this, from this, from this. It was like a car chase. It's like watching a car chase. I like the jazz reference. Cause it reminded me a little bit. It was like uh, John Clemmer playing sax. It was just like blowing through the sax, but also screaming. At the oh, same like Farrah Sanders style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ferris Sanders. Yeah, Ferris Sanders. Yeah, yeah. The, so, scream, the screaming sax player. That's what uh, Mo Salah is. Salah, the screaming sax player. Do you know what? That's a great you need to f- <laughs> compilation of his goal set the sax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, we'll that goal on incredible. And also his pass for Sadio Mane's opener. I know. He is in a. You know, there's um, and it not, it's not even in the zone. He's like he's like levitated above it. He's just you know, and you're just playing in such a kind of um. You see it like certain players like Kevin Durant in basketball or whatever, where they're just like in a state of grace. And if they feel like it, you, you have no say in it. And I feel mm-hmm. like Salah for the last like, you know, couple of games has been in that. And Liverpool in particular, Liverpool's front three, we, we, we said this is what Liverpool are. We know this is what they are. I had a chat with uh, a good chat the other day with a Liverpool fan just randomly, um, I think at Cheltenham. We were just, he was like, who do you support? I was like, I'm a United fan, but I'm a, I'm a football fan first. I can appreciate football. 
And I just went, I was just raving about Curtis Jones for about five minutes without limit. And then he suddenly stopped and looked at me and he was just like, almost, are you sure you're not a Liverpool fan? I was like, no, I just, I just love Curtis Jones. And I just love the way that Klopp integrates brilliant new players into established structures, mm. which is why Liverpool is so exciting this year. If you're a Liverpool fan, and maybe not anyone else, True. because they just have this ability, you know, Klopp, oh, we haven't signed any players. And I'm like, yeah, but I said this to my friend. I was like, look, Klopp improves players 20% in an off season. Yeah, but also they had so many players out last season, they've essentially signed like eight players. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. <laughs> eight yeah. like a new signings. Yeah. Shouts to Sadio Mane, became the third African player to score 100 goals in the Premier League and only the third player ever to score 100 goals in the Premier League without any penalties. That's amazing. That's even, well, it's amazing anyway, but it's even more amazing because, you know, those goals don't come, mm. don't come cheaply. Yeah. And also props to Bobby Firmino, hat-trick. Yeah, which is wild. How do you get a hat-trick and not be the man of the match? Yeah, there was, a, there was an amazing moment in this game, actually, where I was, I was there because I was, I was watching it and, and just kind of pottering about. And I came back in, was like stood in front of the TV and I saw Bobby Firmino kind of like dropping into a deep midfield role. And James Milner was almost playing as a false nine. And I was just <laughs> like, what is happening? What's going on here? <laughs> Didn't, my favourite part of the game, actually, mate, well, apart from the goal, someone posted a brilliant picture of um, Kanate's reaction <laughs> to Salah's goal and he's just like oh my um, goodness it was almost like okay look I saw a lot of great things at Leipzig but I may not have seen that I know <laughs> no. but um, yeah good win for Liverpool because Chelsea went on to beat Brentford later that evening and rode their luck a bit let's say yeah Edouard Mandy deserves that man should not pay for his meals for the next week that Edouard wow. Mandy was unreal I mean unreal. he's he, he's definitely in a shout for best goalkeeper in the in the league there was a moment at the end, at the end of the game, when um, Brentford players went up to him and one of them looked up at him in awe. Like, yeah. it was like looking at a mountain, like going, oh my goodness, like we could have played for three hours and wouldn't have scored past this man. Um, the XG of this game was Brentford 1.91 to Chelsea's 0.27. Chelsea had one shot on target, which they scored, which was chill They have a slight problem, Chelsea. They have a slight problem. In they terms do. of, in They're terms starting of, to lose control of games more than they did do at numerous points last season. They are. And that is a challenge. And you see now, like, even the chances they get, like, Lukaku snatching at chances, mm. which is also the sign of a player. I mean, he hasn't scored for six now, but also the sign of a player who's not getting regular supply and you're not sure where the next chance is coming from. Like, he's really slashing at them. And it's funny how quickly this stuff changes, but we said this before, like, when it's four teams now that have gone at Chelsea like this, I think Zenit, um, City, and a couple of others, obviously Brentford, there's like four teams that have really gone at them and Villa too, with, you know, with complete disrespect for the bottom of the previous year. And they found a way to, to go straight down the barrel with Chelsea. And now Chelsea have to adapt. And, I, and I'm not sure how soon they can do that, but this is a slight problem for them because this is, this is like the fourth game in a row where they've like, they're not fourth game in a row. It's like four games in five now where they've really, really struggled to create, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good shout. Um, but ultimately, Tuchel will be massively pleased with that because I, I tweeted about this saying that, you know, if you, if you looked at the, the aftermath or the fallout of the arsenal Brentford or the yeah, Brentford arsenal result laughing. on opening, yeah, exactly. like, that result's not looking that bad now, to be honest. Thank you. I know, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I will feel very <laughs> smug and vindicated about that because I was like, people don't realise how good this Brentford team is. Yeah, they're really good. And yeah, if you've seen what they've done to Liverpool and Chelsea now, right. you know, they are... Pff, Thomas Frank has got that team 
working. I mean, it was just cross after cross after cross after cross. But actually watching it, because it was the evening game on Saturday as well, it was super fun. As a neutral, it was so much fun to yeah, watch. Yeah. But let's talk about probably the biggest game of the weekend. Leicester Manchester United, Leicester 4, Manchester United 2, Leicester City 4, Manchester United 2. Hmm. Okay, so I think I owe Leicester a bit of an apology because on a previous episode of Stadio where we were talking about Manchester United not really clicking, I gave Manchester United a month where they could potentially figure it out and I think this was actually maybe three weeks ago, or maybe maybe it was two weeks ago. And it was it was uh, I was saying that you know they've essentially got till the Liverpool game to really figure this out. They're they're the only ones that they will really be able to like have the freedom to figure out. And that's because I thought Leicester, like we mentioned on Wright's house, Leicester were just really not clicking at all. Mm. Leicester looked brilliant on the weekend, absolutely brilliant, and. Didn't let Manchester United play football barely at all, to be honest. They knew exactly when and how to target Manchester United players. They knew it was just, it was so, so smart. I mean, I must say, watching Manchester United was really strange in this game because I'm not sure I've seen it. They looked so disjointed, so disjointed. Um, you have, how do I even begin? So there's a moment in the second half, for example, on two occasions where Mason Greenwood cuts in and there's just no overlapping from one bissaka um, You have Imanja Matic go minutes without touching the ball. And now if, you've, if you contrast that with, you know, you watch Spain, Italy and Barcelona, Valencia and everything going through, um, through Sergio Busquets and you contrast that with Nemanja Matic, who's nominally the most defensive of the midfielders in the pivot. And the ball just doesn't go through him. And then like, I think he has a, he has a shot now over the bar and people on, people on Twitter were like, oh, like he's had a decent game. I was like, he hasn't, he, he hasn't retouched really the ball until that shot over the bar. Mm. And with United, it seemed, it felt like, you know, the absence of ideas, the amount of shots from distance. And I was thinking, Kasper Schmeichel's a good goalkeeper. Like you'll beat him like that maybe once or twice, maybe once, but you keep trying it again. It's like, you just keep like, it's like almost like sort of kept jacking the fruit machine and expecting jackpots. Does that make sense? And the lack of ideas was a real concern. Pogba was unfortunately, you know, Pogba was suboptimal. Like he was poor. And when I say poor, I mean positionally. In terms of, right, I don't know if I even saw Pogba and Matic exchange that many passes with each other. If you look at Gavi and uh, Frankie de Jong, again, to contrast, or you look at like Gavi and Busquets and the way they exchange passes or cookie, when you look at midfields that actually like hunker down and like exchange the ball, the creative relationship between these two was really lacking in a quite mm. a sort of grim way. But then as well, you had the kind of um, the United goal where Maguire, um, the ball gets played out. Pop plays it back in and, and Lindelof doesn't go wide, doesn't play it to one Bissaka. And it's this strange thing of, they're not trusting their fullback to progress the ball. They trust one Bissaka to defend, but not really to attack. He looks uncertain in attack. But again, that's a systemic problem. And it means if he doesn't attack, your winger can't get forward. And there's, it's like tiny individual shortcomings, which over the course of the 11 accumulate into something, frankly, like in, on this occasion, disastrous. And over the course of a season, substandard to the point where like United, the problem is this, they're going to consistently underperform 
15, 20%, 30%, according to the quality of individual players. And this is why, and I'll just say this very quickly, when people go, oh, but if Solskjaer goes, who do you replace him with? I'm like, well, anyone, 15, 20 coaches? Frankly, you could replace him with Michael Carrick at this point. And the reason I say that is because if Michael Carrick was put in charge of that as a caretaker manager, Michael Carrick, one of the first things he'd probably do is be like, we've got to sort out the passing lanes. Because I was watching United the other day, Ryan, and honestly, the lack of passing lanes was so concerning. Very often you saw United play get the ball, Ryan, and he only had one passing option. Does that all make um, sense? Yeah, totally. I was just looking up something. So basically... Uh, Matic and Pogba combined for a total of 11 passes in the entire game. It felt like that. It felt like that. Tielemans passed to um, Sumari on his own 11 times. It felt so, like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a, I can't remember which goal it was. Was it the... Was it the goal? No, it was when um, it was when Tielemans hit the post in the second half, early in the second half, when Matic, Matic, Matic got lost like possession. Caught. Yeah. And this was just... This was kind of the theme of United all all day, really. They got out of trouble thanks to a wonder strike from Mason Greenwood, which was mm. unbelievable. Yeah. And Marcus Rashford coming in, who, you know, looks like he's focusing on his football. Yes. Interesting that. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I don't want to talk too much about Man United specifically because it's just it's just a, another Leicester because Leicester also got yeah but goals. I think this Leicester is basically a, yeah. the whole thing was 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 basically what people have been talking about Manchester United for ages like they got outdone by a really well drilled team that were tactically very sound and knew where to hurt them and their only real moments of joy came from two individual moments of brilliance really that's Manchester United in a nutshell They've got a really tricky run of fixtures, Manchester United, and they're going to have to figure something out. But then again, how surprised would you be if we're sitting here in a month's time after seeing Man United maybe kind of like either get a point or beat Liverpool, beat Arsenal, yeah, cruise through from, their Champions uh, League yeah. group? Do you know what I mean? And then, and then everyone's just like... Can I say this now though? I'll say it now. I don't care. I'll say it now. Manchester United the very smart I saw a lot of kids like this at school he's the very smart rich kid who doesn't quite revise and still passes mm. and we'll you know and actually over the, we'll, we'll get some spectacular results here and there because because the kid's just so smart but the kid is not doing the homework and over time over time that exposes you you mm. will fall short on crucial occasions and that's the thing like even if United go and like beat so and so 3-0 whatever the systemic problems are there and you cannot keep doing it with individual brilliance it's just not sustainable over the course of a league season it just it's isn't also, it's also going to be interesting to see how he handles Cristiano Ronaldo in a tactical sense because well you look at Jadon Sancho for example and you play with a dynamic you know, well look I love Jadon Sancho as a player and I love him at Manchester United in theory and I welcome the signing in theory at the same time you now have two elite footballers, Donny van der Beek and Jadon Sancho, who were signed without an apparent plan. Now, Rafael Varane's a different case because there's so much space to defend. You basically stand there and just defend that space, right? Actually, in a sense, the job's not easy, but it's easier, right? And Rafael Varane's brilliant, so he'll just like slot in. But in a complex attacking system, that is where Donny van der Beek and Jadon Sancho absolutely shine. And I refuse to believe that in a different system, a different setup, these players will not be thriving. And to be honest, that system might not even involve Paul Pogba at this precise point in time. It might not, actually. Not always, it might yeah. not. It might, it not. might not. Like, yeah. It might not involve Paul Pogba or Edinson Cavani 
And shout out to Fred, who had a fantastic game uh, for Brazil recently in the qualifiers and showed that there's definitely a footballer in there. But the problem with this is, the problem with what Solskjaer is doing at the moment with the coaching is that he's making very good players look far below the best with his coaching. And some of those players are then coming out and making apologies and all the rest of it. It's like, actually, well, it's really difficult breaking down complex attacking, complex defensive systems in the Premier League. I was reading a Xavi interview, brilliant Xavi interview in 2018, and he was talking about the challenges of finding gaps at the top level, right? Mm. And you're sending out elite players without the tools to find the gaps at the top level, and they're coming out taking responsibility. It's kind of not on. It's kind of not cool. You no, know what I don't rate it. Yeah, and they're going yeah. pl- to play against a run of teams now who are... Oh, excuse me. The the Arsenal game is at the end of November. I meant to say Spurs. <laughs> getting, getting Arsenal and Spurs mixed up. But listen to this next run of fixtures. Atalanta at home, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away, Atalanta away, Manchester City at home. Now, those are all sides who at least have some sense of a plan. We'll see where we are uh, after the City game, before the next international break. But um, let's talk about Leicester because... Yeah, I think this was really needed from Leicester, actually, and they've got they've been in quite a good run of form against Manchester United. They haven't lost against Manchester United in the last four uh, since they lost two 0 at home in twenty twenty. Um, that's including the FA Cup game, by the way. But they were just so good. They were just so good. Like they created way more good opportunities. They didn't create as many chances as Manchester United, but they had the chances that they did create were far better. And I thought David De Gea actually really kept this, let's say, respectable. Yeah, yeah. Yuri Tielemans, man, he'd been going through a patchy run of form, I think, like we said before, Leicester as, 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 a, as a side had. His goal, I can't remember really seeing many goals like it. Frank Lampard got one like this years ago, actually with his wrong foot, weirdly enough. The oh, really? Left, the swirling left foot chip is the only one I remember. Was it like, a cross, direct- Frank? Was it a cross, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly the reaction he got at the time. Well, I, thought, that's I, awesome. I thought initially this Telemans one was across. Like I thought he tried, it looked like he tried to clip it to the back post, but. When you see that there's no one around it. This isn't a mistake. It's my, it's like a Tony Cruz type level technique. Like it's unreal. So and the, gen, the genius of it, the genius to use the disguise as he did. Yeah. And the vision. Well, the play vision. When he whist- plays like he was whistling, man. Plays like he's whistling. Yeah. I mean, it's funny watching Telemans and thinking, oh my God, this is a player I wanted at United so, so much. But then I thought quite forlornly, we wouldn't be using him properly. Oh. That's the thing. I thought we wouldn't, we wouldn't, if we had Telemans, we wouldn't be, he would you not be playing You know what just came into my well. head then? That's how I felt. It was heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> I have this moment now and I'm just like, well, if he'd come to us, he wouldn't be enjoying it. Like, Stop it. This isn't a Man United thing. Talk about Leicester. That's true, actually. That's true. Very true. <laughs> um, so unchu has got a great scoring record against us as well. He really enjoys it. Mm. Um, so yeah. And, while it's, and also, it's the thing is, it's always, the, it's always the usual suspects. The people that hurt you are the ones you expect. Oh, Jamie wow. Vardy is, Jamie you Vardy is. Write well. that down. Write that down. Jamie Vardy, like, <laughs> I wonder if he has like plaques on his wall. Ah, <laughs> I want to talk about this because I want to give massive props to Jose Perez. Perez's assist of this was so clever. I don't know if you watched it back again, but if you wait, there's a moment where he's got the ball and you, you expect him to release it. Maguire steps out towards oh, Vardy. Wow. And then both the central defenders, I think Lindelof's there as well, they both then take two steps back towards their own goal, which frees, gives Vardy like an extra yard and a half. 
Brilliant. And that's when Perez releases it. He does this like delayed release on it, which really smart. And I don't know whether it was just, uh, he's seen Maguire step out and just holding onto it for a split second longer basically gives Vardy the space to to finish because if he'd released it when Maguire stepped out, which is when I think a lot of players would have. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's easier for Maguire to, to, to close it no, down. I'm sure, I'm sure it's deliberate. I love details like that. I love So details. good, man. Yeah, so, cause yeah. I, I couldn't tell if my eyes were tricking me and went back and watched it again. And it was just like, no, no, no he definitely like, he basically just held onto it for that extra it's hesitation. Classic, hesitation. Classic Iniesta thing. Iniesta used to do this all the time. Like hold onto it for a little bit longer, attract a couple more players towards the ball, free up space for your teammate. It was so good. So good. I love skills like that, the hesitations, because you yeah. can see them thinking yeah. and problem solving at, at high speed. Yeah, yeah, so good. But that's a massive win for, Bre- uh, for I was going to say for Brendan. Brendan. Uh, obviously, Pats and Daka got the cherry on the ice and the cake in stoppage time. Yes. Pats and Daka, first Zambian player to score in the Premier League. Wow, stat. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Stats and Daka. That's <laughs> that's. Brendan Rodgers does this thing where he just puts both fi- like both arms in the air, but like fingers extended. Very Saturday night fever. Very sort of air traffic control energy. It's just like, cue the music. <laughs> it's been a while since he danced, actually. So yeah. Brendan, see no, the, no, one, <clears throat> no one needs to see any managers dancing. No, that's true. Sorry. That's true. Like, 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 we've, did we not learn from Pardew? To be honest, I'm not going not gonna, to not gonna sort of dance shame too many managers, but yeah, a few of them have got some ropey moves out. A quick shout for Southampton. Got their first win of the season, beat Leeds 1-0 at home. And uh, oh, Norwich, man. Norwich, Norwich, Norwich. They beat the XG Lords at their own... The XG Gods. <laughs> their own Those game. XG Gods. 1.18 to 1.14. And they couldn't put them away. They had that one... Uh, Josh Sargent had that one chance where he'd come around the keeper and just underhit it. And I was just like, oh no, this is... This isn't going to... It's just... This is... <laughs> It's quite symbolic that, I think. Tough season, tough season. Yeah, uh, props to David Moyes as well, who's West Ham side beat his old club Everton 1-0. Uh, so it was an amazing West Midlands derby. Yeah, yeah, very much so. But then Wolves, so Wolves emerging victorious by three goals to two. And the funny thing, it's actually goalless till quite late. This was a feature of actually quite a few games at the weekend. Musa, you're saying it was, a, it was a game of two halves? Game of two halves. <laughs> That's what you're going to say. You were going to go Listen, there. These sayings have their uses. Um, and it was funny, like the tension in this was building obviously for a while, wasn't it? Uh, and the best about this as well is, is the bragging rights. You know there's going to be a ton of workplaces and WhatsApp messages with this thing just off the chain and Wolves fans are just loving it. Yeah, so a quick recap. Villa taking the lead in the second half with Danny Ings and then uh, John McGinn doubling the lead. Even the Wolves had the chances. I think it, it kind of looked like Villa were good, good to go. And then... 10 minutes from the end, Roman Sice got one back. And then Connor Cody, a few minutes later, got a second one back. And the thing that was amazing about this was just that that final 10 minutes was carnage. Right. Like absolute carnage. Like all the goals were like super desperate, scruffy, real. They were very much like, derby goals. They were much derby goals, definitely, weren't they? Yeah, it was just like it didn't matter. There was no, you know, because Danny Ings' goal was quite nice, I thought, right? Well, that, and again, it was, the, it was like, it was almost like you could watch the, the quality of the goals was the descent of the Derby into chaos, if you think about it. Yeah. It was actually like, you know, because it started quite orderly. <laughs> it did start quite orderly, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Cody's like super scrappy goal, just like to equalise with five minutes to go, it was absolute carnage. And then Ru- Ruben Neves with a deflected free kick. I was just such a 
like from a Villa point of view, this is such a horrible, horrible way to lose a derby. From a Wolf point of view. It's almost the best possible way to win, isn't it? Absolute pandemonium. Yeah, there's something like as a football fan, I think when you're playing a derby, it's almost kind of better if you win through completely like it's 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 a bit different if you play an amazing move, for example, and re- win the game with like a super well worked goal. It's just like wow, that was that was amazing. But when it's 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 more for bragging rights and stuff and fan hashtag bands. It's almost more poet, not poetic. It's more probably more fun when something's like mega mega scrappy. Yeah, yeah, because it just shows how hard fought it was. There's just no margins. And actually, shout out to Adama Traore who kept his head really, really well in quite difficult circumstances. Actually, throughout was pretty impressive. This will go down as a classic, won't it? I'm not sure if they'll be releasing DVDs of it, but yeah. No, but it was one definitely one of the the most entertaining fixtures of the weekend. I think. Yeah, it's an iconic result. Yeah, Bruno Lager when the winner goes in and it cuts to the touchline, he's just kind of stood there looking behind him really, really chill. He's not really celebrating at all. Has anyone done a compilation of like managers' reactions to goals? Ooh. So I'm a big fan. I'd love to see like just the compilation, like a, a super cut of like great managers down the years with astonishing goals going in and then just being like, meh. That would be so cool. And everyone else just going wild around them and jostling them. Just the facial expression just staying absolutely the same. I'd love Amazing. to see that. Great result. That puts Wolves up into the top 10. Good for them because they had a tough time last year. Yeah, so. yeah. Before we doubt I'm from the Premier League, let's talk about Newcastle Spurs quickly because I thought this was such a strange occasion in general. You obviously had the uh, party atmosphere at the new owners before the game. TIFOs unveiled. Newcastle taking the lead super early on. Delirium and Dombele scoring a great goal to get uh, Spurs back into it. Harry Kane ending his duck in the Premier Getting League. Getting a goal, thinking it was offside for ages, yeah. and actually it was on. Uh, and then obviously the hot, like the horrible scenes that happened in 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 the stand with a, a fan collapsing and receiving CPR, I think, from another fan, and Reguilon and Dyer spotting it. And absolute props to these two players, by the way, for spotting that, alerting Andre Mariner, and getting him to stop the game because. That could have been crucial. Eric Dyer signaled for a defibrillator. The medical team came over, got to go into the stand, uh, treat the the fan. The players went off the pitch for a while and the fan was stabilised and taken to hospital. And I think, honestly, if Reguillon and Dyer hadn't spotted that then, there and then, it could have been very different because as, as people have, have rightly become more aware of over the last couple of years, specific or last six months, I suppose, since yes, with what happened to Christian Eriksen, like rapid action, yeah, every second is gigantically important in a scenario like that. So I don't know how they did it, how they spotted it and, and huge props to them because there was a similar incident the day before in the Freiburg-Leipzig game. But the players and staff weren't aware of it at all until after the game. So it can be so hard to, if you think you're in an atmosphere like that at St. James's Park as well, and which is a loud stadium. Yeah, the level of awareness as well. So, awareness. And, and I thought Reguillon did really well after the game as well because he was given joint man of the match with Eric Dyer, I assume because of because of that. But uh, he, he asked if, if the fan was okay and I think Jeff Shrees told him that he was and he was just like, that is like, I mean, it's something you'd expect him to say, but still he looked genuinely just like pleased that the guy was, Okay, and I think that's it. This is the thing about this this fixture because of everything that's been going on around it. Is this that you know, obviously the, the the stuff around the Newcastle safe takeover, people reacting in certain ways, critiquing in certain ways, people critiquing the critique, and then right at the center of it, you actually have this like very human 
uh, yeah. issue, which there is a, dis- I think Jonathan Liu wrote in his, he wrote a really good piece for The Guardian about this. When you actually see a matter of life and death right in front of you, it was just, it was a very, very, it felt like a very odd occasion in all. It's strange because even, it's even an occasion that you wouldn't not, you wouldn't pay this much attention to with different ownership, right? Like Newcastle Spurs with Ashes, the owner is a game that is maybe not as high up the global scorecard mm. in terms of games you watch, but because of the new ownership, it was, it just had all that attention. One thing I will say that was a bit disappointing. I mean, when Callum Wilson scored the opener and the comment about what a fairytale start for the new regime. And I was just like, there's a funny thing that happens in football where you can see why this happens because people go to football for pure escapism, right? So you've got a bunch of commentators who've, treat, who've behaved their entire career. How do I say this? They've gone their entire career and their whole thing is my job is to create escapism, right? My job is to lean fully into the storyline of this, just to keep it on the football. The problem is, and everyone says like, keep politics out of football. The problem is when politics starts buying football, and I'll keep this brief, when politics starts buying football, you've got all of a sudden a whole group of people, Ryan, who have been studiously avoiding that crossover for most of their professional lives. And it really is showing through now. And I'm not trying to like even pick yeah, up. You can't half step anymore on that stuff. You've do, got do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I think people are, it's going to be a very steep learning curve for a lot of people. Um, yeah, totally. I think just, I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, if you are paid a lot of money to cover a sport uh, as the sport evolves you have to evolve in in, or, in order to be aware of and yeah. abreast of the full context that the sport is taking place in and if you're not then i don't think you're doing the sport justice and or I think, fans I think, justice i think it's evolved in a way that um i think it's evolved in a way that a lot of people did not anticipate and it's you know we're going to see more challenges like this you know we've gotten we said this before it started with different owners before and other clubs and so we don't have to rehash that. All I'm saying is people that were concerned by some of the coverage that came out, I don't think will be the last of it, just as it hasn't been the last of it for the last 15, 16 years. No. Um, and unfortunately, I think the one thing I will say that's a bit different now, I think that the contrasts are only going to become more jarring as time goes on. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to get easier from this point. But yeah, anyway. Definitely. Um, anyway. Was it, in a football sense, it was a good win for Spurs. It was, yeah. Don Belay showing some, showing some nice touches, showing something again. Not sure how long Steve Bruce will be in charge now. He's long for this parish. But uh, let's take a break and then we'll go into other stuff. Let's do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> my Christmas sweater. I suddenly realized my Christmas sweater has Christmas lights. <laughs> Just screenshotted that. Um, this is really disturbing this is really disturbing you're like one of those really tall buildings do you know what I look like I look like Ultron Ultron in the what ifs like the infinity stones in his his jersey (laughs) oh Musa ah it's never never a dull moment Um, Musa Okwonga would you like to join me 
on a journey on a trip to to Italy let's do it Juventus won Roma nil I feel a little bit sorry for Roma here yeah you dropped me a text about this and you're like was he offside and I was like let me actually and I saw it again and thought well yeah he gets the second touch and the funny thing is he celebrated with such confidence that at first in, in real time you're like oh Beautiful header, he's angled back across the keeper, but it's not, it kind of hits him. Um, and of course, he's hyped to get the goal because it's, you know, it's Roma. But then you watch it again and it, yeah, like Roma looked unlucky. And the, the worst thing was, Roma were playing really well until that point. Yeah, they were. They really came out well. of the block. And they came Which out is the quite, really it's a thing well. that Mourinho doesn't get enough credit for, perhaps, you know, because he does have a defence reputation. But Mourinho teams in big games do often fly out of the blocks. Mm. with really good attacking and like quite, you know, not unrestrained, but very um, high tempo, good attacking patterns. This is a Mourinho thing. And so everything was going according to plan until that goal. Now, the problem with that goal was, of course, Juventus now had developed the kind of the barnacle defense where, you know, it's almost like Juventus are kind of rediscovering themselves after the Pirlo sacking and like, you know, the kind of the upheaval, Allegri is back. And they're kind of building from the back first. And they looked, they looked delighted to be defending. They were like, okay, great. This is going to be the thing we're going to do. Chiellini in particular was outstanding at the back. He was. And they were always, I mean, there was, Roma got a penalty just for half time. Veritu, I think, stepping up. When that penalty got saved, even though it was only half time, Ryan, mm. I'm not going to lie to you, I thought they're done. Well, the thing that was really unlucky about this was that they had the ball in the net. Right. Like the referee's just a bit trigger happy on the whistle. Like if you just let it go, they'd be they would have equalised. Yeah, but I I just felt like, well, uh, absolutely. But also I felt it's it's so strange how Juventus had this aura now. Just over the last couple of games, I well I'm like oh like if Juventus get into position in a game like this, they will they're in a position to just stifle it. But they felt like they had that ability mm. because they don't mind. Kind of like a Real Madrid thing, like makeshift Real Madrid, we can, we can have 10 years kind of finding themselves again and just going, okay, it's not going to look great. It might be makeshift or make it work. And the same thing again. They've got that solidity. Now, I'm not sure if they've got enough goals in them because I think that the teams at the top of Serie A, Napoli and um, uh, Milan in particular, have goals coming more readily on tap than Juventus do. I think goals will be a problem for them, but defensively, certainly, they're going to be a real, a real problem. I mean, Inter are the are Serie A's top goal scorers and they've scored 23. Uh, Napoli top with 19 and Juve has scored 12. But the problem is that, you know, Napoli and Milan uh, have the two best defensive records in the league. Right. Whereas Juve have conceded 10. Like, Juve's goal difference is only plus two. And a lot of that's from their early patchy run of form. Right. They seem to be sorting that out though, I think. They seem to be hankering down. This is a really good Serie A though this year. It's deep. Oh, it's, it's really good. It's yeah. really, really good. Like, it's, this is not, put it this way, this isn't a season in which, this is not an ideal season for Juventus to find themselves again because there's several teams above them in the table. I mean, Inter, Lazio got a very good win over Inter, but Inter have looked good. They've looked really strong. But that top five in particular Napoli, Milapoli, Napoli, Milan, Inter, Roma, Lazio, Atlanta have been a bit uncertain this year. They've been on and off. You're not really sure what you're going to get with Atlanta, but that top four in particular, top five, it's really strong, Ryan. Quick shout for the red side of Milan. 
great comeback against Verona. Yeah, Verona 2-0 up and uh, it was looking like they were going to they were going to do the same thing they did to them. Well, it's the same thing happened last season, I think. Didn't yeah, Verona went 2-0 up really early on last season at, at San Siro against Milan. But then who are you going to call? Exactly. <laughs> Giroud did he and it's funny cuz Giroud even did a great interview just last week about how his career yeah. has just been fighting. And about fight backs and like how you've got to be, you know, He's always been up against and I looked at, you know, Giroud's strike rate. Actually, it's pretty incredible. Over the course of his entire career, he's just under one goal every two games. Yeah. He's That's quite disrespected, Olivier Giroud, isn't yeah, he? We've he talked is. about this before. Yes, he is. But, um, but yeah, he got Milan back into it and then uh, a Kessier penalty on a really harsh own goal from uh, Gunter. Oh, I want to say about, so about Frank, Frank, it was very harsh. Um, also, yeah, Paul as Lena Oberdorf got a bad one against um, Hoffenheim. There were a couple did, of like, yeah. unlucky own goals. Yeah. Uh, own, uh, unlucky own goal winning goals. But there was um, the Frank Kessier thing I want to say about his penalties. So, you know, in the age of like internet research where basically a goalkeeper can study you a thousand different times, I wonder if Frank Kessier takes a bigger variety of penalty than almost any other penalty taker. Because people know that you're good and people know what you're, you're good at. So like he has to keep varying it. Mm. You saw with Del Piero, like back in the day, Del Piero had to change his style so often because people like knew what he was good at. I feel like in the age of internet research, like Kessier is just constantly changing. I, I, I don't really know like I've Frank Kessier. Man. No, I, I, I love him. I love him. I don't know if I've, I've seen him take two penalties consecutively or score two consecutively the same just because he's that good that keepers are just constantly waiting for it because they know that he waits till the last minute. Can yeah. we use the penalties to segue to La Liga? We have to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, after it. obviously bigging up Napoli, who maintain uh, their wonderful start to the season, 100% record, they are top. Because Memphis Depay's penalty in this was so brave, I think. when I think when people smack it into the corner from on penalties, that's super brave because a slight miss hit and it goes wide and you get Spaced. memed. You get the Bruno he, the, Fernandes He does a thing. He cuts, across it. he cuts across it with some slice, but disguise. Mm. So he absolutely disguised. It's really, really, really clever the way he hits it and plays it. And the killer in goal is like, I was, I was never going to get anywhere near that. It's an unbelievable penalty. I mean, uh, let's start at the beginning because Jose yeah. Gaia put Valencia in front after like five minutes from way, from way downtown. If yeah. Mike Breen had been commentating on this, there would have been a bang drop. Oh no, maybe not because it was too early in the game. That's true. There wasn't, the, he hadn't built the crochet. It would have been, it would have been a, puts it in. That's, it yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have been a it wouldn't have been a bang. It was too early. Ansu Fati got Barcelona back into it. Just, I just want to ask you something, Musa. <laughs> Barcelona number ten coming in off the flank, playing a one-two with someone on the edge of the box and casually side-footing it into the far corner. Can't recall that happening much. No, in never the last seen decade it. or so. Never, never seen it. Never no. seen it. No, no, no. no. Curious. But anyway. Do you, know, <laughs> you know what's funny about him though? He wears that shirt like a t-shirt. Doesn't look phased at like all. Like a t-shirt, Ryan. Like he's, it's nothing to, Ansu Fati, I, I tweeted, I did say like, the king is dead, long live the prince. Because this man, this boy, this. He's still a teenager. He is the attacking Fulcrum. Uh, Memphis was brilliant. I love Memphis. I think it's such a great signing. I think actually in a funny kind of way, because of all the gloom around Barca, the signing of Memphis Depay hasn't been given its full props, but it's a brilliant signing. He looks wonderful. He combines so well. 
this era of Memphis Depay, Memphis Depay in his mid-20s, was early 20s, wasn't at this level, right? He didn't mm-hmm. have the tools. Well, he had the tools, hadn't unlocked them. He's fully unlocked now. He's a He's leader, a great man. Player. He was like that at Leon. Like he came it's into this Barca side in chaos. And I think I talked about it a couple of times this season. Basically, he was just like, this is my team. I love it. I love it. And, and then, the, and to be fair, the, they kind of needed someone to do that, really. No one really stepped up to, to take hold of this new era of Barcelona and was just like, right, guys, we either sit around moping or we go. And fair play to Memphis. Like he did that and he steered them through. And they're still in it. They're still in a very crucial period of, of the season. And they, I feel like they're going to be in a crucial period pretty much all season, Barca. Yeah. The wiggle room they have between doing okay and, and full-blown crisis is very, 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 very small. It is very small. And also Valencia aren't the highest on the table. I mean, it's early in the, in the season. At the same time, yeah, they were riding high not they too long ago, though. played some beautiful football, Barcelona. They played some stunning football in the first half. Yeah. The second half, you know, things tailed off. The tempo was lost to an extent. But in the first half, Frankie de Jong, Gavi, Busquets, Jordi Alba, even Dest. Dest had a, a more mixed outing. Ansu Fati, I just have to say this again. His vision, his bravery, um, his opportunism, his, his creativity, his intelligence. He's running the forward line. This is the incredible thing about him. We said this before, Ansu Fati, and I think people sort of, not, not, not who listen to Stadio, but people more broadly might be like, oh, look, how can, an, how can a teenager do all this? Ansu Fati was a huge miss for Spain in the Euros. Uh, yeah, he it was, was enormous. He's not, completely not an other dimension, teenager. Yeah. So Depay's penalty, and then Coutinho with a goal, a little tap-in. Who uh, Dest, good work for the assist there. Yeah, Valencia just kind of decided to not really bother marking anyone in their own six-yard box. <laughs> just so... <laughs> There was a lot of ball watching, wasn't there? Was a lot yeah, of ball there watching. was. Yeah. Um, but that was a, a good result for Barcelona because they've got their game in hand. They're three points behind Real Sociedad, who are atop of La Liga, and they're two points behind Real Madrid, having played the same game. So they ain't miles, miles, miles away. But quickly, let's talk about Real Sociedad, who beat Mallorca very, very late in the game. After going down to 10 men, uh, Munoz was sent off stoppage time at the end of the first half 90th minute Lobeta nice little finish yeah scoring the winner really nice to see them front runners they haven't had I would say they've had a, a, not the most brutal run of fixtures but they've been really impressive mm. um, so the thing with Sausadad of course is always it's, just, it's the volume of goals isn't it that's the thing that always when big leagues leagues eventually turn to shootouts and they might struggle I think over the course of a season but to see them up there again is great and they've had a really great like three, four year run. Yeah. I said this before to you, I'm so happy they won the Copa del Rey because it will mean they've got something to show for this incredible era. Like, because it's going to be, a, it was always a thing with Poch's Spurs. People point to that four or five year era and be like, that four year run and be like, oh my goodness, this is probably the best team in the country on their day. And everyone will be like, where's the trophy cabinet? With Sociedad, it's, you can say that now. They can, they have something, they've, they've, they've put a pin in this era. But it's great to see them kicking on. I mean, like, had, it'd be nice had, to they've see. They've had a few injuries as well. I mean, obviously, like Monreal yeah. was out. Oyarzabal was yeah. out for the weekend. Oyarzabal's gone to another level as well. I love him, man. He's what amazing. Another, what a great, what a great um, yeah. So big, big props to Larial and uh, Imanol, man. Yeah. Imanol, legend, doing big things. Big, big things. 
very, very quickly, let's go to France. Shout to Marseille quick, who um, beat Lorient 4-1. Uh, Teo Guendouzi was an absolute stormer of a game. Scored one, assisted one. And Marseille are up to third in the table with that game against Nice to be replayed. Nice lost on the weekend away at Proy. In Nice's defence, PSG lost there as well last year in the 3-2. And that was a hell of a game. Yeah, PSG scraped through against Angers on Friday night. Um, obviously, oh, that's a couple of players to... off the back of the uh, international break. But they've, they've scraped through probably like 80% <laughs> of their victories. It's so worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh wow. dear. Uh, I reckon we're good, huh? I think we're good. Are we good? Actually. Uh, probably be writing something for the Ringer website soon. So oh, ringer.com yeah. forward slash soccer. Yeah. I, I didn't know you wrote. I mean, have you known me? <laughs> uh, you caught me again. I do write <laughs> things. Yeah. Oh, no. Musa I write things. That should be your Twitter bio. Why is that not your Twitter bio? I write things. Because it just feels like, it just feels, that, that would be such an obnoxious thing, wouldn't it? Be like, would look it? at me. I write, yeah. Oh, I write things. So he's like, oh, 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 wow. Oh, he writes books. I was like, that's a really obnoxious thing to do. Oh, he, you write books, do you? <laughs> <laughs> should we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Get vaccinated if you can. Don't forget to check Wright's house on Wednesday. Check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for stuff going up. Musa does write stuff and he will be writing stuff and I shall attempt to write some stuff as well. So look out for the <laughs> writing stuff on the website. Uh, Stadio will be back on Thursday. We'll do some Champions League stuff. Might do a Champions League mailbag. It's quite good to do that at the early stages of the competition, I think. Why not? Yeah. Stadio Outros players on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros. Playing out on a brand new one from Faulty DL called Roller. I think that's everything. That's it, yeah. Done pretty well. Good roundup. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Nothing further. <laughs> what's the next uh what's the next stop on the on the tour? Uh Bristol. When's that? Bristol. It is this midweek, two things in Bristol. Um then a, a workshop and a sort of panel discussion with the mayor of Bristol. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know why they're asking my opinion on anything other than writing or even that. Uh, and then back in London, South Park Centre, two dates, uh, three, no, three. Three Whoa, and four days. From yeah, popular, right. Is it because of popular demand? Is there such a thing as unpopular demand? <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing uh, Friday South Bank, Sunday South Bank, Monday The Social. And Ian's joining me for that, actually, in conversation. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Man, so, I'm getting so much, so much FOMO. Why do you get, you, oh, all, no. get, you all get to hang out and I'm, I'm just sat here producing Don't worry, we're, podcast. We're boring, we're boring, we're not fun. And then going to Belfast, then back in the UK again, and then I'm off back to Berlin. Lovely. Yeah. Well, have a nice time. I'll try, I'll try. Much love, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. Till then, take care. See you then.